This program is made possible by the members and donors to the show. For details, visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from Bowling for Columbine, The Rachel Maddow Show, The David Pakman Show, The Young Turks, The Daily Show, and The David Feldman Podcast with a bonus video clip for our Apple iOS and Android app users from The Rachel Maddow Show. history of the United States of America. Hi, boys and girls, ready to get started? Once upon a time, there were these people in Europe called pilgrims, and they were afraid of being persecuted. So they all got in a boat and sailed to the new world where they wouldn't have to be scared ever again. Oh, I'm so relaxed. I feel so much safer. But as soon as they arrived, they were greeted by savages, and they got scared all over again. So they killed them all. Now, you'd think wiping out a race of people would calm them down, but no. Instead, they started getting frightened of each other. Witch! Witch! So they burned witches. In 1775, they started killing the British so they could be free. And it worked, but they still didn't feel safe. So they passed a Second Amendment which said every white man could keep his gun. I love my gun. Loves my gun. Which brings us to the genius idea of slavery. You see, boys and girls, the white people back then were also afraid of doing any work. So they went to Africa, kidnapped thousands of black people, brought them back to America, and forced them to work very hard for no money. And I don't mean no money like I work at Walmart and make no money. I mean zero dollars, nothing, not a zip. Doing it that way made the USA the richest country in the world. So did having all that money and free help calm the white people down? No way. They got even more afraid. That's because after 200 years of slavery, the black people now outnumbered the white people in many parts of the South. Well, you can pretty much guess what came next. The slaves started rebelling. There were uprisings. An old master's head got chopped off. And when white people heard of this, they were freaking out and going, Oh, no, real. Don't kill me, big black man. Well, just in the nick of time came Samuel Coe, who, in 1836, invented the first weapon ever that could be fired over and over without having to read and all the Southerners were like, Yee-haw! But it was too late. The North soon won the Civil War and the slaves were free. Yep, they were free now to go chop all the old masters' heads off. And everybody was like, oh no, we're gonna die. But the free slaves took no revenge. They just wanted to live in peace. Hence the white people of this. So they formed the Ku Klux Klan. And in 1871, the same year the Klan became an illegal terrorist organization, another group was founded, the National Rifle Association. Soon politicians passed one of the first gun laws, making it illegal for any black person to own one. It was a great year for America, the KKK and the NRA. Of course, they had nothing to do with each other, and this was just a coincidence. One group legally promoted responsible gun ownership, and the other group shot and lynched black people. And that's the way it was all the way to 1955, when a black woman broke the law by refusing to move to the back of the bus. White people just couldn't believe her. Huh? Well, I won't say no. What's going on? Man, all hell broke loose. Black people everywhere started demanding their rights, and white people had a major freaking fear meltdown. And they were all like, run away, run and they did. They all ran flee into the suburbs where it was all white and safe and clean. And they went out and bought a quarter of a billion guns and put locks on the doors, alarms in the houses, and gates around the neighborhoods. And finally, they were all safe and secure and snug as a bug. And everyone lived happily ever after. Don't you dare speak of the commonwealth. Come every man for himself Rich and poor, void in between Raise a wire, gate communities The wealth 
to get the normal views with their own privatized police while the silent majority will say it's for the best, obey the corporate American dream. Today, residents of Tucson, Arizona, marked the start of the next phase of this national tragedy that has now stretched into day six. The funerals for the six victims of last Saturday's deadly shooting started today. After last night's public memorial service, today was expected to be a day of more private grieving by the families and friends of those who were killed. Unexpectedly, though, the events today continued to involve the public. Hundreds of people spontaneously turned out, look at this, hundreds of people spontaneously turned out to line the streets of Tucson to salute the hearse that was carrying the youngest victim, nine-year-old Christina Taylor Green. Here was a sign that hung from a house right across the street from the church where Christina's funeral was being held. Your community is standing with you. As friends and family entered that church for the memorial today, they passed underneath this flag. This is the largest flag recovered from ground zero after the attacks of September 11th. The connection, of course, is that Christina Green was born on September 11th, 2001. It's a fact about her biography uh, that was noted one of the more moving moments from President Obama's remarks last night. Christina was given to us on September 11th, 2001. One of 50 babies born that day to be pictured in a book called Faces of Hope. On either side of her photo in that book were simple wishes for a child's life. I hope you help those in need, read one. I hope you know all the words to the national anthem and sing it with your hand over your heart. I hope, I hope you jump in rain puddles. If there are rain puddles in heaven, Christina is jumping in them today. President Obama returned to Washington very early this morning. And the White House, while not pivoting away from the Tucson tragedy, did start to field questions today about whether there is anything in public policy that should change in response to this latest incident of American gun violence. We will have an opportunity to evaluate uh, ideas and proposals that may be brought forth as a result of the circumstances and the facts uh, around this case. Uh, the president again, since I have been with him in 2004, has supported uh, the assault weapons ban, and we continue to do so. The president will continue to support the assault weapons ban. You know, that position, a ban on semi-automatic assault weapons, that is w a position that, that, that Mr. Obama happens to share with his predecessor as president. During the 2000 presidential campaign, George W. Bush said he supported the assault weapons ban. It was a view that he continued to hold while he was president. Well, the president thought and said so at the time, in 2000, that the assault weapon ban was a reasonable step, supports the reauthorization of the current ban. George W. Bush ultimately failed on that campaign promise. The assault weapons ban was allowed to expire on his watch. 
But President George W. Bush, through his political career, did in fact support a number of gun control measures. Things like banning the importation of large ammunition clips, banning guns within 300 yards of a school, raising the gun ownership age from 18 to 21, requiring instant background checks at gun shows, requiring trigger locks with, with handgun sales. George W. Bush supported all of these gun control policies. Which, of course, is why angry, enraged, paranoid NRA members picketed every one of George W. Bush's public appearances while he was president for all eight years. Oh, wait, that didn't happen. No, that didn't happen because George W. Bush's position on gun control was considered to be relatively mainstream and relatively non-controversial. Mr. Bush supported some what you might call common sense restrictions on what weapons Americans are allowed to have. And that's how the politics of the Second Amendment has worked. There is a broadly defined consensus, which includes both Barack Obama and George W. Bush and every other politician of either party who holds mainstream views on this subject. It's the consensus view that the Second Amendment protects the right of Americans to own firearms, but there are reasonable restrictions on what that means. In the wake of the Tucson shootings, with the realization that the only reason the alleged shooter was able to kill and wound so many people is because he could fire 30 bullets before he stopped to reload, because he had a high-capacity magazine that would not have been legal for him to buy had the ban on that not expired in 2004. In the wake of that realization, we have to decide as a country if we're going to keep to the mainstream, centrist, George W. Bush and Barack Obama included consensus on gun control that some restrictions are okay, or whether we are going to reject that long-held consensus. The common wisdom in Washington right now is that there can be no new policies concerning guns whatsoever. No restrictions on gun access are politically possible, no matter how great the need, no matter how big the problem that America has to confront about gun issues, no matter how great the national trauma, no matter how rational the restriction. I know that is the common wisdom, but the fact that it's common doesn't mean it's not radical. That's a radical assertion. That common wisdom that we cannot do anything about guns, that has never been true of gun politics in modern times. Saying all restrictions are off the table, that's a rejection of the centrist consensus we have had on this issue for generations. That is the view of the gun radicals. That's the view of the absolutists. Fellow patriots, we have a lot of domestic enemies of the Constitution, and they're right down the mall in the con Congress of the United States. And right down Independence Avenue in the White House of the United that belongs to us. It's not about my ability to hunt, which I love to do. It's not about the ability for me to protect my family and my property against criminals, which we have the right to do. But it's, about, it's all about us protecting ourselves from a tyrannical government of the United States. Second Amendment, not about hunting or self-defense. It's about citizens having the ability to overthrow the tyrannical government of the United States. That was Congressman Paul Brown of Georgia speaking last April. E.J. Dion wrote about this at the Washington Post today. Uh, he found Republican Congressman Ron Paul making uh, roughly the same argument in print five years ago, quoting Mr. Paul, quote, The Second Amendment is not about hunting deer or keeping a pistol in your nightstand. It's not about protecting oneself against common criminals. It's about preventing tyranny. The founders knew that unarmed citizens would never be able to overthrow a tyrannical government as they did. 
The muskets they used against the British Army were the assault rifles of that time. Again, the argument here is that the Second Amendment exists so Americans can overthrow the government. Uh, that is a view. It is, it is a radical view of gun policy. We've had record gun sales, and when, Mer and, and when Americans are asked, why are you buying guns, they're buying it for civil unrest and to fight back against government tyranny. It's conservative talk radio host Alex Jones. We essentially have, have two choices about what kind of country we are on this issue of guns. Do we believe the Second Amendment requires the citizens of this country to be well-armed enough to defeat the military of this country? Is it about the power to literally overthrow our government? If that's the case, then this week's common wisdom is right. No matter what the national trauma, there can be no regulation of the American people's firepower whatsoever. I mean, right now, it is essentially illegal for civilians to own machine guns, rocket-propelled grenade launchers, mortars, cannons, explosive time bombs, anti-tank guns, Molotov cocktails. I shouldn't say it's illegal. Technically, they are actually not outright banned, but we do restrict access to these things so greatly that these things that you see on the screen right here, these do not circulate among American citizens broadly. But if you are with the Alex Joneses and Ron Pauls and Paul Browns, if you are with the radicals on gun policy, then all of the laws that prohibit us from having these things need to change. In fact, all of the laws that prohibit us from having access to anything you can imagine in terms of weaponry need to change. Because in their view, to do right by the Constitution, you and I need to be able to defeat the U.S. military in battle. We need to be able to overthrow the U.S. government. So we need not only anti-tank guns and rocket-propelled grenade launchers and bombs. If the United States military is armed with depleted uranium munitions, if they're, if they're armed with nuclear weapons, in order to be able to compete with that, in order for you and me to go up against the tyrannical commander-in-chief of the U.S. military and defeat him in battle, you and I should quite literally be able to obtain private nuclear weapons. This is not hyperbole. If you, if you believe the gun radicals' philosophy about guns, that gun rights are to protect our ability to overthrow the government, then we need to be able to destroy the U.S. military so we can overthrow that government. Peace Commander-in-Chief of the U.S. military, we need to be able to defeat him in battle. Is that what gun rights are for? If that is what gun rights are for, you and I need to be able to privately buy everything the military has and more. In fact, we would probably be advised in order to protect our gun rights to restrict what weapons the U.S. military is able to have so we can make sure we continue to have a tactical advantage. Forget the arms race between the United States and the Soviet Union back in the 1980s. Under this view of gun rights, every day should be an arms race between you and me and the 82nd Airborne, if that's the way we're going to approach gun politics. Is that the philosophy with which we approach it? Or can we approach gun politics the way that we do in modern America, which is that we reject that radical position? I mean, we love and enjoy those folks, and we like playing tape of them on the television, but we don't move forward on their suggestions. It's all about us protecting ourselves from a tyrannical government of the United States. We can either accept that view of gun policy or instead accept the view that our Constitution allows law-abiding Americans to own weapons with some reasonable restrictions that allow us to be a modern industrialized democracy that is not a thunderdome. You'd say something hostile I'd laugh at your joke Just receive the gospel
Now, why was he allowed to buy a gun? Why was Jared Lee Lofner allowed to buy a gun? And not only that, by the way, Arizona has these instant background checks when you go to buy a gun. Those are a good idea, right? Mm, yeah. The other issue is, remember that assault weapons ban that existed, which limited the number of bullets you could have in one clip to 10? This individual, Jared Lee Lofner, was able to fire off, I, th- I want to say 33, 30-something bullets before he had to reload, at which point he was taken down by the uh, eyewitness reports that we have. If the assault weapons ban, which many conservatives in Arizona and all over the country said, nobody's going to die because of this assault weapons ban being uh, allowed to expire. Guns don't p- kill people. People kill people. Well, you know what? Jared Lee Lofner would have had to reload after 10 shots instead of 33. And then what would have happened? How would this situation be different if that was the case? Explain that to me. So for those who are saying there is no negative effects of the assault weapons ban expiring, this is one example. And by the way, if we had the proper wording for this uh, incident in the media, homegrown domestic terrorism, we would be saying the assault weapons ban expiring actually aggravated a heinous incident of homegrown terrorism. Hey, David Pakman here, host of The David Pakman Show at davidpakman.com. If you're like me, you're a regular listener of the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with Jay Tomlinson. If you like that, I invite you to check out my show, The David Pakman Show. Not only will you hear the best of the left, but you'll also hear some of the worst of the right, including some of the craziest bigots and racists around. But don't worry, I don't agree with them. Check out davidpakman.com, check out our show, continue listening to Best of the Left podcast, and even consider becoming a member of The David Pakman Show, all at davidpakman.com. We had the terrible shootings in Arizona. There has been reaction by the right wing. Uh, unsurprisingly, the reaction is the answer would be more guns. A uh, pro-gun rights uh, group called Arizona Citizens Defense League has drawn up legislation requiring the state to train members of Congress and their staff in the use of firearms. I'm going to remind everybody that Gabrielle Giffords was shot in the back of the head. If she was trained in firearm use, it wouldn't have done her any good. Okay, And a lot of these people were caught completely by surprise. But if you don't think that's enough, I'm going to prove in just a little bit why guns don't make any sense in regards to this shooting even. But first, we continue with other crazy conservative ideas. Louis Gohmert, one of my favorites in Congress, United States uh, representative from Texas, says that he wants to draft a law saying that uh, legislators should be able to carry guns in D.C., which they are not allowed to do under D.C. law now. But he takes an extra step, of course, because he's Louis Gohmert. Gohmert says they should be allowed to bring them onto the floor of the Congress. Why? Who are you going to shoot in Congress? You don't like Anthony Weiner saying the gentleman is wrong, and the next thing you know, you're going to pull your gun? What do you need to bring a gat to, to Congress for? But he's a Republican. He can't even say, oh, the answer's guns everywhere. I can't think of a more disastrous idea than legislators carrying guns on the floor of the Congress. It's, it's nuts. An eagle, eagle, talent scream. 
says there was no point in even having an argument about whether we can change the laws in this country that deal with guns. Everybody says don't even bother having the argument because people who are against having any restrictions on guns, people who are against changing any of the laws about guns, those people will win the argument no matter what. It's not even worth having the argument. Everybody says that. But that is not true. Here, for example, is somebody who is against changing our laws about guns. Here's somebody who's against that losing that argument really badly, really quickly, and live on TV. Congressman, don't you wish Jared Loeffner had a smaller capacity ammunition clip when he went to Gabby Gifford's event in Tucson? Lawrence, I wish that Jared Loeffner had uh, the capacity to have a, a moral impulse toward his fellow human beings and a commitment to, to protect them as uh, children of God. That's the real issue here. Congressman Franks, I'll try again. Do you wish that his gun held 10 bullets instead of 31 bullets? I wish he had not had a gun at all. He shouldn't have had a gun at all. He was, I think, mentally ill, and we have laws against that in many places. And I think to focus on the clip is like saying that, uh, uh, you know, we'll, we'll combat drunk driving by limiting the size of, of fuel tanks. Imagine this event occurred in 2003 when Jared Loeffner, by federal law, enacted by the Democrats ten years earlier, would not have been allowed to get his hands on a magazine that held 30 bullets. He only would have been able to fire 10, then he would have had to reload, and those heroes who stopped him when he tried to reload would have stopped him after firing 10, and more citizens of Arizona would be alive today in your state if that magazine held only 10 bullets. I'll ask you again, do you wish Jared Loeffner's magazine only held 10 bullets instead of the 31 that he fired? And I will tell you again, sir, that I wish he had not had a gun at all. Your constituents in Arizona would have been better off if Jared Loeffner, by law, could only fire 10 bullets. See, I think that that presupposes that he couldn't have changed clips or all kinds he of things. He couldn't change clips because the colonel was there to stop him, because those heroes in that parking lot were there to stop him. We saw him try to change clips, and he couldn't do it. That's what stopped him. Well, I give every credit to those who stopped him, but I will say to you again that to blame the gun rather than the individual is why we continue We're, to have these kinds the of problems. I blame the individual for the first 10 bullets. I blame the law for the next 21 bullets that he fired. Well, you know, you're, you're suggesting that, that there wouldn't be other ways that he could have done What if he'd brought a bomb? We There's know all what kinds happened. We know what stopped him. When he had to reload, it was over. We know the facts, Congressman. We know exactly how it ended. Don't pretend that you don't know how it ended and who ended it. He couldn't reload, and the heroes there on the scene stopped him. The common wisdom is that we can't reform any laws that relate to guns at all. 
Why is that the common wisdom again? Because people like Congressman Trent Franks there are so great at arguing against it? The facile common wisdom on this issue right now is not just common, it is essentially unanimous. There's not even an argument behind it. There's just this assertion that the NRA is against us changing laws about guns, so therefore we can't change laws about guns, period. In the wake of the Tucson shootings, the NRA did exactly what everybody expected it to. The group denounced an effort to ban high-capacity ammunition clips, like Lawrence was describing there with the congressman, to ban just those extended clips that, like the one that Jared Loeffner held, had that held 30 bullets. The NRA denounced that very specific proposal, saying people who wanted to change that law just really wanted to ban all guns. And of course they said that. Anytime anybody other than the NRA even so much as talks about guns in any capacity, the NRA accuses that person of wanting to ban all guns. That's what the NRA does. That's what the NRA said about the assault weapons ban. That's what the NRA said about the Brady Bill, too. The NRA has said that about every gun control measure of any kind that has ever been proposed or passed in my entire lifetime. But things like the assault weapons ban, things like the Brady Bill, things like other gun control measures that have passed in this country, they passed even though the NRA was against them. The NRA rattles their proverbial sword. They tout their own power, and everybody in the Beltway touts it for them, too. But the NRA does not always get everything it wants. Sometimes there is a national consensus that there ought to be some policy made that affects guns. And that consensus happens to exclude the NRA and people like Congressman Trent Franks. And policy about guns gets made even though the NRA and the Trent Frankses of the world are against it. In the wake of the Tucson shooting, there is a very, 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 very wide range of people who are saying that maybe legalizing those extended capacity ammunition clips six years ago, maybe that was a bad idea. Maybe it doesn't make sense that the alleged shooter in Arizona was able to buy an extended capacity ammunition clip for that handgun that allowed him to fire 31 times before stopping. When I say there is a wide range of people who are conceding that specific point now about the extended capacity ammo clips, when I say it is a wide range of people, I mean it is a really, really, really wide range of people. Do you think that this incident, um, that there is something that you would support measures in gun control that should be changed that could help avoid this in the future? Well, um, I'm not sure exactly what they would be. I'd certainly be willing to listen to ideas. I've always been a gun advocate. Uh, obviously had the um, strong voting record on behalf of the Second Amendment. That's just what I believe. Um, and um, whether or not there's some measure there in terms of limiting the size of the magazine that you can buy to go with a semi-automatic weapon. We've had that in place before. Um, you know, maybe it's appropriate to reestablish that kind of thing, but I, uh, I think you had, do have to be careful, obviously, that uh, the court, Supreme Court's ruled on the Second Amendment. It's an important part of our historic legacy. Um, and it, we're, we're looking for ways to make sure this never happens again, but you've still got to go back to the fact that it looks like the cause of this particular tragedy was this one individual who uh, apparently is, um, you know, has very serious uh, mental problems. That was his full comments on the subject in complete context with no editing. Just to be clear, what was that middle part again? some measure there in terms of limiting the size of the magazine that you can buy to go with a semi-automatic weapon. We've had that in place before. Um, you know, maybe it's appropriate to reestablish that kind of thing. When the consensus on a matter like this involves Dick Cheney, 
maybe everybody saying it's impossible to do something like this is being lazy. Dick Cheney is not just a conservative and a Republican and a pro-gun guy who incidentally shot somebody while he was vice president. Dick Cheney is so out there in pro-gun territory that in 1985 he was one of only 21 members of the House who voted against banning so-called cop-killer bullets, bullets designed to penetrate bulletproof vests. In 1988, Dick Cheney was one of only four votes against a ban in the House on plastic guns designed to get past x-ray machines and metal detectors. The guy who was not even against plastic guns and cop killer bullets, Dick Cheney, that Dick Cheney, now says, yeah, maybe we ought to look at banning those high-capacity magazines again. You know who else is saying that same thing? The man who argued the case before the Supreme Court that established that the Second Amendment protects an individual's right to bear arms. He's the chair of the board of the Libertarian Cato Institute. His name is Robert Levy. He told NBC's Michael Isakoff last week that not only does he not see any constitutional barrier to banning extended ammunition clips for guns, he thinks it would probably be a good idea this is the man who argued the Second Amendment case before the Supreme Court. In his words, these are his words, not my words, so do not send me hate mail. In Mr. Levy's words, quote, it may stop a few of these Looney Tunes to ban the extended magazines. While saying he saw the issue as a close call, Mr. Levy said that a restriction for magazine size to 10 to 15 rounds, he described that as something that, quote, makes sense to him. So yes, the NRA is against it. Also, puppies are cute. Also, sunburns hurt. Who cares? What the NRA thinks is not the last word on whether or not change is possible in the nation's laws that relate to guns. It is not the last word on whether this change is possible. At least it, it never has been before. Don't let this be the last word. Don't let this mark the end of our fight. Don't let this be the last word. As the recent uh, tragic events in Arizona show us, uh, a scourge of violence is still very much with this country. It's clear that there are going to be no quick fixes, unless there are. At least five members of Congress are now planning to introduce new gun legislation. Among them, New York Republican Congressman Peter King, who said today he will introduce a bill that would make it illegal to bring a gun within a thousand feet of a government official. Two questions. A, can the rest of us get us one of them thousand foot gun free perimeters? <laughs> and B, how's that supposed to work exactly? How would law abiding gun owners know how far they are from government officials? <laughs> Unless the statute also requires government officials to wear, let's say, cowbells <laughs> and gun owners to carry NFL yardage chains. The question is this, though, should we really be writing laws that may bump up against the Second Amendment without at least first considering laws that could bump up against the First Amendment? The first real introduction of legislation has been done by Representative Brady of Pennsylvania, and he's going to introduce legislation that says it would make it a federal crime to use language or symbols that could be perceived as threatening or inciting violence against a federal official or a member of Congress. 
Isn't threatening a federal official or member of Congress already against the law? How is this different? We're adding symbols. You can't put a cross here. You can't put a bullseye on a, on a member of Congress or a member of Congress's district. Ah. So this is different in that you can't put crosshairs on congressional districts. So basically what you're trying to do here is write a new federal law just to say f you to Sarah Palin. <laughs> or is saying, or is perhaps saying f you to Sarah Palin, also now illegal under that statute. <laughs> you see, once again, we are up against the age old dilemma that a free people must face. Most of us don't really need clarification on the whole thou shalt not kill thing. And for the ones that do, clarification never seems quite specific enough. Oh, thou shalt not kill. What about with knives? No, you, you, you can't kill people with knives either. I see, I see. Are minorities included? What if I get someone else to do it? Can I just go up to somebody with my weapon and go, I want to kill you! Can I do that? See, what happens is basically we end up enforcing laws and forcing everyone to live by rules that only attempt to prevent the last thing that was done by the least controllable amongst us. It doesn't have to be this way. We must not give in to fear. We must empower our better judgment to create a society where violent rhetoric and imagery is frowned upon, not because it drives the unbalanced to action, but because it's inherently wrong in and of itself. And I trust that that is how the American people will react. The Monday after the shootings, handgun sales jumped 60% in Arizona compared to the same day a year ago. One gun shop owner told Bloomberg News his Glock sales doubled this week. Or we could go the other way. Audible, an Amazon company, may have 85,000 audiobooks, but they don't have my favorite book of all time, The Solitaire Mystery by Yostine Garter. It's out of print, hard to come by, and the audio version only comes on cassette tapes. So you could go to audiblepodcast.com slash best to get a free audiobook of your choice, and I'm not saying you won't find anything worth reading, I'm just saying you'll have to settle for one of the 85,000 books that doesn't contain the most fun and insightful story I've ever read. That's audiblepodcast.com slash best to be only minorly disappointed by the selection of audiobooks available. Republican uh, Representative Louis Gohmert says that he thinks it makes sense for Congress members to go to Capitol Hill packing. So yeah. packing heat, okay? He thinks that they should be allowed to uh, carry guns and he explains why in this video. I want you guys to watch it. It's video number two. More freedoms may be of assistance, like uh, uh, members of Congress, or, uh, a number of people who said they walk home at night, they have no security that follows them home. Uh, and up here in Washington, D.C., because there's a, a gun ban, uh, beside law enforcement, the only people that have guns here are the criminals. So... Um, we're looking at a bill that uh, would allow members of Congress to carry a weapon, but I take you back a couple of hundred years when 
uh, part of public life and public office was uh, if you said something that offended somebody, there was going to be a duel and somebody was going to be killed, which is what happened with Aaron Burr and uh, Alexander Hamilton. So we've come a long way from those days. We just don't need to be reverting backward. I love, I love his last comment. We don't need to be reverting backwards when there was, you know, those duels which were terrible and Hamilton got killed. Wait, what was my first argument again? <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. Uh, Congress members need to be able to carry guns when they go to Capitol Hill. You know, typically where they go and they debate policy issues and disagree with one, one another on a regular basis. How many members of Congress walk home? I'm reading this. It says, okay, uh, a, a number of people, meaning Congress people, have said they walk home at night. They have no security that they walk home. First of all, I want to know why they walk home. I mean, I'm, I'm not even on the guns yet. I'm like, do they really? I, I don't think. Staff. They have staff. You, you, you could say, hey, you know, you know, Henry, could you, or whatever, you know, Sarah, whoever your assistant, give me a ride home. Yeah, I, I don't think they ride, walk home. One. Mm -hmm. So he's already lost credibility with me. Now this whole business about they should be packing. First of all, uh, no, this is this is a speech defying one here a little bit. But uh, I have not seen a level of responsibility and rationality out of our congressional representatives that suggest they're mentally sound enough to be carrying deadly weaponry. Um, uh, now, I realize that's not civil discourse, and I'll be criticized for it in this new day, but but uh, guns? Oh, oh, by the way, there is no gun ban in D.C. Yeah, there yeah, there was a gun ban in D.C., but uh, because so many people die there of gun violence, a mm -hmm. massive staggering, um, but the Roberts Court overthrew the gun ban in D.C. because even though we just heard a Republican politician saying that politics should be decided on the local level, mm -hmm. Conservatives don't really believe that. So when the local people in Washington, D.C. said, too many of us are dying from guns, we want to ban them, the federal government in the form of the Roberts Court came and threw that away. Now, did you hear Mike Lee, our last speaker, ever raise his voice at that time saying, gee, the local people should decide for themselves what's right and what's not? You did not. So they only believe in local government when it suits their purposes. So there is no gun ban in Washington, D.C. Uh, the only place that a member of Congress would not be permitted to carry a gun, well, they'd have to get a concealed carry permit, would be in Congress itself. So obviously, he must be saying they should be able to carry loaded guns into Congress, which... Uh, which is a disastrous idea. Judging by their behavior at the last State of the Union message, the last thing they need to be given is is weaponry. And then you were getting right. a, a chuckle out of the Burr-Hamilton duel, which, of course, killed our... Uh, Former uh, Secretary of the Treasury, Alexander Hamilton. Um, well, the last thing we, we need to do is to be reverting backwards, he said. But uh, there are those who would argue that, what else is he suggesting? But yeah, yeah you're, you're suggesting that we revert backwards. I, it's a terrible idea. And I, I hate this whole uh, thought process that if you are carrying a gun, you're automatically safer. The guy carrying, the only person carrying a gun at the shooting in Arizona, almost shot the wrong guy. Exactly. He was of absolutely no good in stopping the crime, and he almost killed an innocent person.
In the wake of this week's shooting, congressional leaders are now exploring new ways to beef up their own security. I'm no trained professional, but right off the top of my head, here's a suggestion on how to make it safer for congressmen. Stop taking donations from the National Rifle Association. Each year, more than 10,000 Americans are murdered by guns. But after Saturday, the first thing we hear from Congress is, how do we protect Congress? How can we make it safer for Congress? 10,000 Americans are murdered each year by guns. Forget Congress. How about beefing up my security? Gun control is now considered the third rail of American politics. For a congressman to take on the National Rifle Association, it's considered career suicide. Maybe, just maybe, it's also suicide to remain silent as an entire nation gets brainwashed into believing it is the inalienable right of a 21-year-old psychotic to stockpile weapons. What happened Saturday was tragic. My heart goes out to everyone. But to blame it all on political rhetoric, to blame the First Amendment instead of the Second Amendment, is nothing short of willful ignorance. So I agree with Sarah Palin. Palin's absolutely right when she insists the shooting wasn't motivated by angry political rhetoric. The problem is not our words. The problem is our bullets. What kind of country is this? The only reason somebody buys a Glock is to shoot another human. Gun owners speak of freedom. Well, where is my freedom from fear? And spare me the tired refrain that guns in the hands of civilians thwart a totalitarian government. Over the past decade, we've witnessed an exponential increase in gun ownership, and alongside that, an exponential decrease in civil liberties. Partly because gun ownership provides a sense of false security for so-called lovers of liberty. Owning a gun can't stop the government from opening your mail, listening in on your phone conversations, searching your home without a warrant, or holding you without a trial. Everything we've grown accustomed to in America, while Sarah Palin and her ilk are so busy hoarding assault weapons in the name of freedom. Owning a gun doesn't keep you safe from your government. The government always wins. The government spends $1.3 trillion a year on quote-unquote national security. If you want to be safe from your government, become part of it. Our founding fathers' core principle was for the governed to govern themselves. They didn't want us standing off on the sidelines hoarding weapons. So Sarah Palin is absolutely correct, even if she does think 1776 was the score for last year's Super Bowl. Her words had nothing to do with last Saturday's shooting. Although I have to admit, when Sarah referred to the attacks against her as a blood libel, I nearly choked on my Christian baby blood matzah. So let's presuppose for a moment that you actually enjoy this show. Now, if that's true, please consider supporting it with a $5 monthly membership. I actually quit my job as a climate activist to pursue this show full-time because this is where I felt like my talents could best be put to use and I could have the biggest impact on the world. But I really need your support to keep going. I produce 10 shows a month of fearless coverage on all the hot-button issues we face, maintaining a rock-solid schedule posting shows at least every third day. So if all that is worth 5 bucks a month or as little as $55 
$5 a year, a little discount for you, please consider signing up for a membership at bestoftheleft.com. Members even receive bonus audio and video content on top of the rest that doesn't make it into the final cut of the show. So please, again, check out the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Thanks so much for your support. What if you had a gun that was entirely made of plastic, where all the components of the gun were high strength enough so the gun would function as a gun, but none of it was metal, so it wouldn't be detected by metal detectors? That means everywhere that is protected by metal detectors, from the Capitol building, to an airport, to an event to see the president, you'd be able to get your gun in there scot-free. You could walk right through a metal detector with your gun and nobody would know you had that gun. Should it be legal to carry an all-plastic gun? These things can be manufactured. Glock, the company that made the gun that was used in the Arizona shooting this weekend, Glock announced back in the 1980s that they had perfected manufacturing techniques that would allow them to do this. Should an undetectable gun like that be legal to buy in the United States? No, that should not be legal. At least that was the decision that our country made when the issue came up. Congress voted on whether plastic guns should be illegal to sell in this country back in 1988. The measure passed the House by a vote of 413 to 4. There were only four votes against it. One of those four votes, one of the total of four people who voted against making plastic guns illegal at the time, was then-Congressman Dick Cheney of Wyoming. Twelve years after that vote, twelve years later, in the year 2000, Dick Cheney was still catching hell for that vote. That vote haunted him his entire political, his political career. Two votes that really did create a lot of interest, particularly amongst police organizations, were your votes on gun control. The first was a ban on cop killer bullets. The vote was 400 yes, 21 no. And a vote on plastic guns. The terrorists used to hijack planes to get them through undetectable through security, 413 to 4. Those aren't Democrat, Republican numbers, liberal conservatives. That's a fringe vote. You're one of four. Mm -hmm. Today, would you vote, support measures to ban cop killer bullets and to ban plastic guns that cannot be detected by airport security? Well, um, obviously I'd be happy to entertain that notion. I don't want to say that I'm absolutely for cop killer bullets. I'm clearly not. But uh, I think both of these cases, these measures came up under suspension of the rules. They came up uh, where amendments weren't allowed, debate was limited. Even 12 years later, you see him physically squirming on that one. Dick Cheney physically trying to squirm away from the shame of that vote by saying, oh, it was about the process by which the ban was brought up. I was unhappy about the closed rule process. The ban plastic guns legislation was initially opposed by the NRA, naturally. But even the NRA looked around, realized how that made them look, and they changed their mind on it. In the end, the plastic gun ban passed overwhelmingly with the NRA's tacit blessing. President Ronald Reagan signed it into law in November of 1988. Now, in that Meet the Press clip, you also heard Mr. Russert take Dick Cheney on, not just for the plastic gun ban vote, but also for his vote on so-called cop killer bullets. 
Um, if you are of the same age as uh, Jared Lafner, the suspect in this weekend shootings, if you're in your early 20s, this may be a phrase you haven't even heard. But in the 80s and in the 90s, cop killer bullets got a lot of attention and got banned. Bullets designed to penetrate body armor were banned in 1986 after a vote in the Senate of 97 to one. That ban on cop killer bullets was signed into law in August of that year, again, by President Ronald Reagan. It was also under President Ronald Reagan when we decided as a nation to take the great leap of banning the production of fully automatic machine guns for civilian use. Yeah, it was Ronald Reagan in 1986 who signed legislation making it illegal for run-of-the-mill everyday U.S. civilians to continue purchasing machine guns. Would you like to have your own anti-aircraft weaponry? You know how at some airports there's still aircraft observation areas? That's one of my favorite things about some airports. Remember when we used to think it was a cool thing to encourage tourism at airports for people to watch the planes take off and land? Well, whether or not your local airport has one of those areas, you are not welcome to bring your own personally owned anti-aircraft weapon to one of those areas because that's the kind of thing that, yes, is also regulated by the federal government. Oh, the horror. Your Second Amendment rights do not extend to allowing you the capacity as a U.S. citizen to, to possess artillery capable of shooting an aircraft out of the sky. And it's not very controversial that that's the case. None of those things, anti-aircraft weapons or the machine gun or the plastic guns, the cop killer bullets, none of these things are the type of weapons or ammunition that were used uh, in the shootings this weekend in Arizona. There was nothing unusual about that alleged killer's choice of a $500 pistol. But the idea that in the wake of this shooting, in the wake of this national convulsion of grief and anger and a desire to respond to this shooting, the belief that, there, that, that, that despite how the country feels right now, that any form of gun control, any form of public policy to try to curtail gun massacres in America is impossible. The idea that it's impossible to pass any legislation regarding guns in America. I believe that idea uh, is, is not true. Three days out from this weekend shooting, we are almost at the point again where nobody in politics can agree on anything. But left, right, and center, the diagnosis of whether or not we as a country are capable of responding to the problem of gun massacres in America, everybody agrees that that's totally impossible, right? Look at this. Why gun control is dead in America. That's Salon today. Democrats and GOP agree gun control is a non-starter in Arizona following shooting at Talking Points Memo today. Arizona shootings unlikely to change federal gun laws. The Miami Herald today. Don't expect any changes in gun laws after Tucson shooting at Fire Dog Lake today. Gun control advocates resign to few changes in wake of Gifford shooting. Huffington Post today. I was not trying to find stories today that are pessimistic about the likelihood of passing new policy in response to this shooting, but this is all that is out there. The reason we are the longest surviving democracy in the world, the reason we are proud to the point of jingoism about the American democratic experiment is because of the simplicity of the core idea of our democracy, that we will form a representative government that takes its legitimacy from the people so that we collectively, not because of some top-down edict, but we collectively, through our representatives as a country, can solve problems that arise in our country. 
whether it's competition or a threat from some other country, whether it is natural calamity, whether it is the, the risks or the promise of our complicated free market capitalist economy, whether it is disease or panic or terrorism or crime, the whole capital I idea of American government is that we as a people can solve problems that arise here. We can solve problems that arise in our country. We are not helpless before what the universe deals us or what some wise man with some inherited title thinks is best for us. We get to solve our own problems. That is what our government is supposed to be capable of. And one of the problems we have as a country is gun massacres, mass shootings. Arizona was the first one of 2011. There were at least seven of them in the last five years, some of which we listed on last night's show and we did not even list all of them. No other country in the world has the problem that America has with gun massacres. Columbine, Virginia Tech, Jonesboro, Northern Illinois University, Fort Hood, Red Lake, Minnesota, Brookfield, Wisconsin, Atlanta, Killeen, Texas, Tucson. The common wisdom right now is that this is a problem that America is powerless to solve, that our government can't be used to solve this problem. We are helpless before this. Up until six years ago, it would not have been legal for Jared Loeffner to have bought the 30-round magazine he had in his Glock when he allegedly went to this Congress on Your Corner event on Saturday morning in Tucson. According to law enforcement officials, Mr. Loeffner had one round in the chamber of his gun and 30 rounds in an extended magazine, big long extended magazine that extends way down below the base of the gun like this one. He reportedly had another one of those 30-round clips plus two standard size 15-round clips in his pocket. It was when he stopped to reload after he had emptied the first magazine that he was stopped and the killing was stopped. When the gentleman ran out of uh, the, the ammunition from his first magazine, he was attempting to change magazines. A woman, who we have the name of but I don't have, went up and grabbed the magazine and tore it away from him. There would have been a huge greater catastrophe had he been successful in doing that. If this attack had happened six years ago instead of this past weekend, unless Mr. Loeffner had the wherewithal to obtain his weaponry illegally, it is unlikely that he would have had the killing capacity that he did. He would have been able to fire half as many rounds as he allegedly fired before stopping to reload, which means in all likelihood some of his victims would still be dead, some of them would still be wounded, but the death toll and the toll of the wounded would be less. Would that have stopped this gun crime? No. Would it have lessened the impact? Yes. Would it have been a grave controversy in America to have not let that one little part of the federal assault weapons ban expire? Would it? Laws about guns are one of the few things in the world um, that is ungoogleable. And all the things that all of us who work on the show research all day long, every day, and all of the days that we work on the show, there is a tiny handful of topics that you literally can't do your research about on Google. All of the other ones are about something related to sex or something that might seem like it might be related to sex when you type it into the Google search engine. But laws about guns, that is the one thing that has nothing to do with sex that you can't get any useful information about by Googling because the gun lobby so completely dominates the debate. Because of that, I will not even advise you to do your own independent research about this online. You have to do it at the library and in books. You will not find trustworthy, unbiased information about this online, I'm telling you. But in 2004, when the assault weapons ban was allowed to expire, one of the things that expired with it was a ban on high-capacity magazines for handguns. 
It is a dog bites man story. It is beyond a political cliche to note how powerful the gun lobby is in America, how much they dominate what's even allowed to be debated in American politics about guns. And yes, the whole assault weapons ban was allowed to expire in 2004. All of its provisions were allowed to end. Everybody says it is impossible for America to solve any of its problems that relate to guns now, to even start or try to solve any of the problems, if any of the solutions have anything to do whatsoever with guns. But who is it who will say that it is important for Americans like Jared Loeffner to have been able to fire 31 bullets from his handgun without stopping? 31 bullets from his semi-automatic handgun. Who will say it was important to have this extended magazine hanging out of his semi-automatic pistol so he could keep firing at humans until 31 rounds had left the gun and 20 people had been shot? Who will make that argument? In 1988, four representatives were willing to say, four, four, four representatives were willing to say, no, we're not going to ban plastic guns. Plastic guns are too important to us as a country. We're not going to ban them. Four people were willing to vote against that. Even Dick Cheney recanted on that. In 1986, precisely one senator was willing to say, we as a country should keep legal handgun rounds that are specifically designed to penetrate body armor. Cop-killing bullets are too important to America. There was one senator who was willing to say that. There are policy measures that Americans of every part of the political spectrum have long agreed should be used to stop or prevent some level of gun mayhem in the United States of America. I don't care about the common wisdom. This is not an unregulatable field. Who is going to stand up against not only that common wisdom, right? But who, who, who is going to stand up? Who is going to be the one? Who is going to be the one to stand up against Congresswoman Carolyn McCarthy and Senator Frank Lautenberg's bill to fix what elapsed in 2004? A bill that says, no, we're not going to relitigate the whole assault weapons ban. We know we can't win on that issue now, but at least let's go back to making high-capacity magazines for handguns illegal. At least let's go back to stopping Jared Loeffner at 15 bullets instead of 30, before he had to reload. This fix has already been written off as absolutely impossible. Not going anywhere. You cannot debate this sort of thing in America. The common wisdom says, no, this is going nowhere. Don't even bother introducing it. Common wisdom says it is impossible. America is incapable of solving this problem or even talking about solving this problem. You know what? This is not impossible. This is quite literally the least we can do. Who is going to oppose this? Who is going to be the Dick Cheney of this one? 20 years later, if they survive in politics, still answering questions about how on earth they could vote against something like this. But if it was a clean vote, would you authorize money to ban cop killer bullets and ban plastic weapons? Uh, yes. Jay, this is Dave from Olympia. Uh, I was just calling to comment on your promotion for the progressive slate. Um, and I, I'm going to start out by saying I actually really like the progressive slate. I think it's a neat idea. I've been a daily voter for a long time. But at the end of the day, you're only talking about maybe 250000 maybe a half a million dollars. And that's great. I mean, these progressive groups 
are going to use that money that they need it. They're going to leverage it in really progressive, awesome ways. And it's empowering to know that you can move that kind of money with a few mouse clicks. But still, when you compare it to real money, it, it seems, I don't know, anemic. It just, the example that's weighing on my mind is in Washington State, we had a two-cent-a-bottle tax on soda pop. And not the best tax. It's a, it's a, it's a regressive tax on food. But it was government revenue. It kept social services going. It kept the environment protected. It kept teachers on the job. So maybe it was a wash. Um, but I say we had because in November it was repealed. There was a ballot initiative that was bankrolled by a you know sixteen million dollar effort uh, to get the petition through and, and repeal the tax. I know some of that money had to have come from Pepsi. Uh, the sort of pop manufacturers lobby you know, was, was behind that. And that's only one example of the kind of money and power that can be brought to bear in further of corporate power. It's an example of how broken our system is. Um, it's been going on for decades, but the Citizens United decision hasn't helped. It's made it a lot worse. Which, I guess, brings me to my activist call. Um, this group out there, Move to Amend, um, uh, movetoamend.org, and there's others, um, Free Speech for People, and there's probably others that are on the same wavelength that I'm just not aware of. But this is a movement to generate local support, petition state legislatures, ultimately drive through a uh, amendment to the U.S. Constitution, repealing Citizens United, um, establishing firmly that money does not count as speech, and rolling back the clock on the whole idea of corporate personhood. I get so excited about this idea. I mean, it's a it's a fix that will make politics better. You'll get some of the money, hopefully a lot of the money, out of decision making. Hey Jay, this is Anthony from Shreveport, Louisiana, and I'm calling because I just got done listening to the Gabrielle Giffords episode. And the sad truth, man, is that I here where I am in Shreveport, Louisiana, this is like the hotbed of people who want guns in every situation, in every location. And their argument is always, you know, what happens when the criminals have the guns or what happens when Obama comes to take all of our guns and, you know, wants to run us over and do us like Nazi Germany. And it, it, it's just, I'm just really grateful that there are folks out there like you who are putting out the fact that guns don't solve every problem. Just because you have a gun doesn't mean that there's anything good that can come from this situation. And I understand that people want to hunt because I hunt. I have two shotguns myself. But the thing is, is I don't have an AR-15. I don't have an AK-47. You know what I mean? I don't have a sniper rifle. I don't have, you know, 30-round clips because I use my guns for duck hunting, and that's it, and hog hunting periodically. So I just want to go ahead and let you know, man, that even down here, in, you know, red Louisiana, where, you know, we have the highest per capita gun deaths, gun depth, deaths, according to Rachel Maddow, and the high, and one of the highest per capita gun ownerships, that there's someone who sees what you're doing and appreciates it, man. Keep up the good work. Thanks. 
Thanks for listening, everyone, and thanks to all those who called into the voicemail line. If you would like to leave a comment, question, or activist call to action yourself to be played on the show, the number to dial is 206-202-3410. And what I wanted to do today was actually respond to Dave from Olympia, who I thought had a really good message, um, but also maybe a slightly odd one. Um, I basically agree with everything he said, but I thought it was odd to kind of um, somewhat, kind of sort of, beat up on ideas like the progressive slate that he mentioned. And he may disagree with that characterization. He said that he's a big fan of it. He's a daily voter for the progressive slate, which uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, raises money through, uh, you know, Pepsi gives away money. And, uh, and so you can help raise, well, you can help make Pepsi decide to allocate that money that they're going to be giving away to good progressive causes. That's the idea. So, so he's obviously a supporter of it, but says, well, but it kind of goes to show how little money we really have when you think about it, because when you compare it to how much money corporations have at their disposal to alter our politics, it then becomes kind of depressing. And it's not like I don't hear you on that, but I really want to not just let that statement stand by itself uh, and and really uh, emphasize a few things about it. So, yes, it it goes to show there's way too much money in politics, uh, way too much corporate money. Corporations have too much power. They're not limited enough by law. You know, they're uh, given rights as though they're humans, which is absurd on its face and so on and so on. Everybody's agreed on that. Um, And then, you know, so what we need to do is fight against that. And, you know, in this case, when I say we, I really don't even mean the liberal or progressive side of, of politics, when it comes to corporate money, there's no logical human being who doesn't directly benefit from corporations having rights as humans, such as politicians who, you know, uh, gain from that system. Uh, there's there's no right-thinking person who would, you know, be in favor of that. So, so really everyone, all sides of, of the political spectrum should be in favor of a constitutional amendment to uh, prevent corporations from being thought of as humans and to, uh, you know, and whatever kind of campaign finance reform laws we can put in place to keep as much money out of politics as possible. And to the extent that there is money in politics, that money come directly from the people because everybody works for the person who pays them. And so if politicians are supposed to work for us, they should get paid by us. It's just, it's really that simple. So uh, regarding the progressive slate, my response is not that I don't hear your point, but it's it's important to uh, fight back in every way possible. It's important to fight for a constitu- constitutional amendment. I wholeheartedly support that. Check out movetoamend.org. It's also important to focus on campaign finance laws, and it's also important to work on getting money into the hands of people we agree with to whatever extent we are capable so to that end, the good news to report is, um, you know, of course, I'm signed up with the progressive slate. I get their emails. And the email that I got after January was uh, the voting is in and we did it uh, for just the month of January. People signing up to vote every day in a really concrete way. Those votes generated five hundred and seventy five thousand dollars split up between 10 different progressive groups. And since uh, since the progressive slate has started, 
they've raised a total now of $1,625,000 uh, spread over 35 different progressive causes. So don't, uh, as, as easy it is to uh, become irritated or upset or, or whatever, uh, whatever emotion you, you want to have about the state of money in politics, uh, don't let it drag you down into thinking, well, this thing I can do, well, it doesn't even make a difference anyways. It's only a few dollars because that money in the hands of real people with their real, uh, you know, nonprofits doing real work makes real change on the ground. And, you know, that's where real pol political change happens anyways is at the ground level. So I'm sure he didn't mean it. He seemed like the most well-meaning guy in the world, uh, Dave from Olympia. Uh, but when I heard that message, I thought, I agree with everything you say, but why do you have to say it like that? So I knew, I, as soon as I heard it, I knew I'd have to respond on the show. So that's what I just did. So that's going to be it for today. I just need to thank a couple of members, of course. Paula M. signed up for her monthly membership back on August 28th. 2009 as a leftist pain monthly has been sticking with the show ever since quite possibly the longest serving member to have not been thanked on the show uh, practically a crime to have let it gone this long uh, but thanks paula and also john r signed up on january 3rd 2010 also as a leftist so huge thanks to john and paula and all of the members who make the show possible i couldn't do it without you guys of course, everyone can support the show just by telling everyone you know about it and also by joining up on the uh, donate your account for the Twitter campaign. If you have a Twitter account, you can donate it to us and uh, and enable us to send messages through you to your followers. If you have questions, just go to bestoftheleft.com. There's a big badge. You can't miss it. Top right-hand uh, corner of the website. Um, click through on that and read and it's really shortly, concisely explained what that's all about. Um, it's, it has been a gigantic success so far. More on that later. Besides that, of course, uh, just to stay tuned in to the show between episodes, you can join up with us yourself directly. Uh, follow us on Twitter. Join up with the Facebook page. And for details on the show itself, including links to all of the sources and music used in this and every episode, all of the details are always listed in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from far outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast, coming to you 10 times a month, thanks entirely to the members and donors to the show from bestoftheleft.com. Thought lines black and white You took apart a picture that wasn't right Pitch burning on a shining sheet The only maker that you want to meet Just a quick PS on this episode. I realized after I'd put everything together, recorded myself, it was all done. I listened again and heard that it sounded as if the the caller who I referred to heavily in my comments, Dave from Olympia, it sounded like his call was cut short. And I just wanted to clarify that I did not cut his comments short and then go on to talk at length about him. Uh, his message was actually cut short when it came to me about three words after what you heard, the call just dropped. So that was all of the message that I had. So I just want to be clear about that. 
So coming to you from far outside. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs>